0: Hello and welcome to Eden Exchanges, the business journey podcast by Eden Exchange. Today we speak to Steve Adji, who is the director of Cafe 51. They provide a ghost kitchen business model to already developed businesses and are implementing this model nationwide. Listen as Steve chats about what a ghost kitchen is, how business owners can maximize their business model, and who would best suit a ghost kitchen opportunity. Listen on to discover more.
1: Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Frank and I'm here with Alan from the Internet Exchange team. Hello everyone. Today, our guest is Steve Agi from C51. Welcome to the podcast, Steve.
2: G'day guys. Thanks so much for uh, having me on and giving me the opportunity to discuss what we do here at C51.
1: All right, Steve. Thanks for speaking to us today. Look, I think probably the best place to start is you telling us a bit about your background.
2: Yeah. Professionally, I've been in hospitality for the better part of 30 years, sort of worked in venues, owned venues, sold, and then moved into the media side of hospitality with magazines like Cafe Culture, Bean Scene, and a bunch of others overseas, a barista and so on and so forth. So I'm really comfortable in the marketing and PR space with hospitality. Very early on, adopter of the delivery model with Foodora back in the day, who was actually called Supper Time. They were a Swedish or Dutch brand that came out but folded up a few years ago. They were the first third-party delivery platform that launched even before Uber Eats, but they just didn't have the model right. So worked with all the delivery partners over the years now. It's been about six years here in Australia and have launched and successfully run a number of Ghost Kitchen's virtual brands across victoria and now with you know sort of COVID and all these restrictions and lockdowns we've really honed in on creating models of ghost kitchens that work under different circumstances and different situations
1: yeah okay is that what c51 consulting does does that sort of tie in with ghost kitchens
2: yeah that's the main focus at the moment we did actually i hate the word but i'm going to use it pivot with COVID. so prior to that It was focusing on online ordering, marketing via social media strategies, campaigns, streamlining supply chain, operational and systems analysis. So it was more of a hands-on type role for existing businesses that were looking to streamline and make their operations profitable. That's all sort of changed now with COVID and we still have a, a suite of clients that we do that for and we work with. But the the main sort of new focus is ghost kitchens and training up staff to understand how to, you know, operate these systems properly so businesses can survive and restaurant owners can continue to, you know, to be there.
3: Thanks, Steve. Now, just for those who didn't know what a ghost kitchen was before clicking on this podcast, what are some of the unique characteristics and advantages of a ghost kitchen business? Can you describe the type of clients
2: you work with? Yeah, look, ghost kitchens are fairly, it's a sort of catchphrase in hospitality at the moment. They're dark kitchens, ghost kitchens, you know, people call them whatever they want, virtual kitchens. It's basically location where it's certified, it's passed all health inspections, so it's not someone's backyard or a garage or something, it's under the same health inspection conditions of a brick-and-mortar venue. It can be a site with no physical address where customers can actually come to, it has changed a little bit because a lot of them now do offer pickup from the location. So the three ways that we sort of find are the most common is there's an existing restaurant or cafe and they start running a virtual brand out of their own venue slash kitchen, which is only available online via delivery platforms to complement their own offering to maybe maximize labor usage and minimize waste of products. So they're sort of using ingredients across two menus rather than one limited menu. Then there's individual pop-up ghost kitchens, so sites that are commercially registered. For example, we're working with a number of hospitality schools at the moment who have training facilities that are not being used or underutilized. And they're opening them up as ghost kitchens with up to five virtual brands. So, doing a number of different cuisines out of those kitchens because one, they have got a lot of students who are trained and can operate these hospitality businesses. And two, they've got the facility, you know, it's a state of the art training facilities, places like MCIE and Box Hill and William Angelus, those sorts of places are all looking at alternative ways to cover the loss of international students into australia and then there's the third option which are sort of uh, ghost kitchen collectives like a communal hub i don't really get involved in that too much because it seems to be very biased towards the the operator so businesses have bought and developed entire warehouses and they house you know, up to 20 different operators in there in little modules that are self-sustained. Each module is a different cuisine, there's no compete, but it seems to be a little bit skewed at the moment towards the financial benefit of the operators rather than the vendors in there, you know, working.
3: And what are the legal requirements for operation of a ghost kitchen? Are they different from a regular storefront restaurant?
2: No, exactly the same. They need all proper registration. They're going to serve alcohol as a delivery add-on. They need proper RSA and licensing. Yeah, there's no difference at all. They need to be certified the same way that a brick and mortar venue is.
1: Right, okay. So obviously there's a particular type of menu that that sort of travels well and performs better in, in, in virtual kitchens than others what sort of categories of food are in demand in your ghost kitchens what trends are you seeing there good question
2: because people should be looking at that for their own venues anyway because it's not a matter of just simply stuffing whatever you do into a box or a bag and sending it out to a customer cuz some food just doesn't travel or isn't made to be delivered and i think sort of fine dining restaurants are finding that that's the case with you know high end sort of steaks and you know, sort of very high-end quality products that really don't travel well and aren't designed to be experienced, you know, at home via a delivery model. So yeah, top of the list always pizza. Pizza's number one, always has been, always will be. Anything that's Bay Marie orientated. So by Bay Marie, I mean sort of cooked in bulk and then kept warm in Bay Maries. Things like Indian, Chinese, you know, any Asian sort of type of cuisine, they travel really well. And pasta, pasta travels really well and is popular. Mac and cheese is catch cry at the moment. People can't get enough of mac and cheese variants, you know, with different toppings. Burgers are a close second to pizza. And then all the peripheral stuff that goes with burgers, you know, fries, nuggets, all those, you know, bits and pieces of size. There's also uh, fried chicken on the bone. KFC has... Seen a massive resurgence in their sales and their relevance in the marketplace due to COVID. They're actually experienced the biggest growth they've ever had in the last 30 years in Australia. So fried chicken, a gourmet fried chicken product is in demand. Tacos, Mexican, you know, burritos, things that can be reheated are forgiving when they travel. A lot of burger operators tried to send out, you know, those big monstrosity creations, you know, with triple patties and all that sort of stuff and then quickly realized that that doesn't travel well and it becomes slop in the, in the box. Um, so everyone sort of started to scale it back and offer, you know, just, just standard sort of cheeseburgers, double cheeseburgers, chicken burgers, things that are a little bit more forgiving after spending, say, 30 minutes in transit.
1: Just on the individual pop-ups, is that sort of people who don't own a restaurant or a franchise business and could they do a ghost kitchen? Of course,
2: yeah. So I've got a number of clients. I've got, as an example, I can use a case study of Luna's Cafe and Bar in St Kilda, which is opposite Luna Park. They're a high-end bar and winery with matching food and wine, you know, sort of top quality, grass-fed, virgin-picked, wagyu beef from the Himalayas and all that sort of stuff. A really strong business, opposite Luna Park, opposite the Palais, reliant on tourism, foot traffic and events, obviously. Their business has basically went back to zero as a result of COVID because people can't go there and their food does not travel. They cannot send that stuff out. You can't match food and wine at home. You know, the, the Somalia is sort of being put out of work, all that sort of stuff. We've just launched a third brand in there now. They've got a wood fired pizza brand. They've got a comfort food brand, which is a variety of products like, you know, chicken palmas and things like that, that travel well that are costed. And it's allowed them to stay open. It's allowed them to introduce a breakfast option. So they've introduced coffee now, and that's actually getting a bit of attention now with locals, you know, stopping in for a coffee and a quick, you know, croissant or something. So, you know, it's basically saved their business. The fact that they were able to launch virtual brands out of there, it keeps them going. You know, it's not the core business of the brand, but they've adapted and, gone down this path at the moment and they're going to keep most of the stuff that they're doing now even if things go back to some sort of normality at some point they've, you know they've developed a loyal following for these virtual brands now that they're able to cross pollinate which is what we do really well we cross promote across brands to different diners so there's always engagement so kind of long story short to answer your question frank Yes, it is important for you know cafes that shut at 3, 4 o'clock to think about what are they doing with that space from 5 o'clock till 10 or 11 o'clock. If it's empty, then why aren't they thinking about doing a, a virtual brand out of that location to help them pay the rent and help them keep their staff employed and help the clock ticking? The only consideration with franchise stores is basically what the all will say. The franchisors sometimes kick up a stink. I know of situations where the franchisor has basically said no because they're scared. And look, it, it's fair enough, they're scared of compromising their own brand and product integrity with cutting corners and things like that. So it's a little bit tricky with franchises, but standalones, local cafes that shut at two or three o'clock, you know, they're, they're silly if they're not thinking about how they can generate more business. You know, during the evening, obviously, dinner's the main part of delivery. It's a badly needed revenue
1: stream, isn't it?
2: Well, 100%, you know, rather than trying to salvage that minimal day part that you've got, that lunch trade where cafes, you know, especially on weekends now where they don't get that brunch anymore, you know, those big crowds and having brunch and sitting outside, they should be looking at where they can offer something that's unique to the area. So because I work with all the delivery partners, They share a lot of their data with me as in what's on trend in specific areas. You know, some things work in some areas, some things don't. So we offer solutions. It's not one size fits all. You can't just plonk whatever kebabs everywhere and expect it to work the same. There's there's areas where it'll work. There's areas where it won't.
3: And Steve, what type of events and locations are Ghost Kitchens better suited to operate and perform well?
2: Again, it comes back to the cuisine, I think. The location, you know, the demographic is important. You have to understand, and that's one thing the delivery platforms do really well is because they've been here a while now, they've got a lot of data and insights into what works where. So, you know, you need to factor in things like halal, if it's going to be in sort of western suburbs or, you know, pockets of the western suburbs, income, you know, what's around there. So if there's areas in the outer suburbs, for example, like Melton, that has a lot of fast food like Macca's, KFC, Hungry Jack's, all the culprits are there. Then, you know, you're sort of better off going with a budget burger brand that can compete on a price point. You know, it's all about that value-driven proposition. Not necessarily cheap, but it has to be affordable, I guess. You know, if it's a young family area like Clyde and, you know, sort of past Nariwara those areas, then... You know, you have to be able to offer kids meals and sort of family packs and incentivize larger bulk purchasing rather than things like Brighton, for example, or South Yarra. They're a little bit more, I guess, uh, affluent and it's more of an elderly, you know, sort of demographic, I guess, where they're happy to pay that little bit extra for something a little bit quirky like. We've just launched a a brand called The Croissantery, which are loaded croissants. When you think about a brunch at home in South Yarra or Brighton, you can order your latte and your, your long black and grab a couple of fresh and a couple of loaded croissants. That sort of tries to replicate the experience you'd get at your local cafe, but as best as we can in the home or near the home, in a park or wherever they choose to dine, and making sure that that travels well it's not just about what what you're getting it's about getting it to the customer in a acceptable condition
3: so thinking more about the bigger package what is on offer with our ghost kitchen offer is there training and support as part of the initial package
2: yep we have an onboarding system that we launch with them which usually takes between two to three weeks from engagement till they go live That includes setting up all their platforms, creating the menu with them specific to their venue. So we tweak it to suit. training staff, introducing all the supply chain required, taking all the photos, ensuring that the menus are correct, just getting them from nothing to ready to launch. And then we have a monthly retainer that we work on. So it's about 500 bucks a month, which covers also ad spend on social media. So you know, third-party above-the-line advertising on places like Facebook and Messenger and Instagram, and that gives them basically 24/7 access. We ask for a six-month commitment. You know, I've got clients that are three months behind in paying. It is what it is. I understand the situation. We get them some excellent rates with the delivery platforms as well. They're not paying the 35% that individual stores are paying. We also get them some excellent deals on supply chain, you know, on key products like packaging, chips, which is always the number one seller. All the products we we can match and sort of beat anybody that's out there because of the bulk purchasing power we have.
1: Right. So there's obviously cost efficiencies going with C51, having your network there and your connections. Is the cost and maintenance of the, the ghost kitchen operation better? than an average catering business or, or
2: cafe menu? Oh, look, it works out much better for us because we cost the menu at about 25%. We won't allow venues to run over 25%, including waste and packaging with our menus. It's very well structured and thought out. Labor is minimised because there is no front of house. It's all kitchen staff, and the recipes are simple and there's a lot of crossover between them. So you don't need to invest in High end cooks and chefs. That said, we've just been granted access via the state government, government grants for staff that want to get trained up via the third party, you know, training schools. So we're able to offer our clients a 50% rebate on all staff that are looking to do some traineeships via MCIE. Yeah, so there's a lot of bonuses for operators that are working with us and we try and give them some good value
1: for money. Yeah, Excellent. What sort of person or what sort of business professional, I guess, would thrive in a roast kitchen operation? I guess the question is about what skill sets will lead someone to be successful in this sort of operation. Well, it's someone who's motivated and wants to be successful.
2: I think it's the initial fire of wanting to be in hospitality. What sort of person would do well in a restaurant or a cafe? It's somebody that is into that high-paced, exciting, dynamic environment which is lacking at the moment so restaurateurs and cafe operators and you know people in hospitality are feeling flat and feeling sorry for themselves standing in doorways looking around chasing tumbleweeds where this puts them back in control where they can do some high volumes you know i've got sites doing 150 orders a night for example across three virtual brands where that gives them energy again you know it gets their staff pumped up you know everyone's getting paid everyone's happy everyone's you know what hospitality was you know that that sort of that whole buoyancy that vibe so i believe it could be the new way that hospitality operators will get their energy back i know from myself whenever i was working in hospitality on the tools i was always pumped when it was busy and you know like crowds and you know just chatter and the buzz and you never get tired you, you sort of live off that adrenaline and then when it's quiet and you know you've got nothing to do you're twiddling your thumbs you're exhausted
1: you go home and you're exhausted it's more the mental drain than anything else that's exactly right steve just talk us through what you think the market opportunity is for ghost kitchen business for the next two or, or three years or even longer Look,
2: projections out of the states, which we, we sort of tend to follow, you know, we're about, I'd say 12 to 18 months behind what happens there. But at the moment, because of COVID, because we've been so uh, restricted here in Australia and Melbourne in particular, um, we're probably a little bit caught up with them as far as ghost kitchens and virtual brands and those sorts of things. It's already exponentially grown over the last 18 months. They're expecting it to probably quadruple. It'll be a billion dollar industry within the next 12 to 18 months and then just continue to grow. It's basically who expected Amazon to be Amazon and you know Alibaba to be Alibaba and those sorts of things, just taking it away from retail. I think the changes in behavior that lockdowns have caused is that people are actually more inclined to order at home. It's just that convenience factor. I don't think restaurants will ever get back to that complete comfort zone you know if we're talking about having to get vaccinated and passports and masks and distancing and check-ins and sanitizing and all this sort of stuff it just becomes a real chore so you know even looking at the bigger players like maccas and kfc they're really focusing on drive-through for that convenience of people not having to get out of their car not having to touch anybody contactless i think that's going to stick around that's going to be residual leftovers
1: I think COVID has changed behaviours forever.
2: Oh, it has, yeah. So ghost kitchens aren't going anywhere. If anything, they will be refined. And I I think we've got a really refined model with what we're doing. You know, we, we adapt it to suit existing venues. Like I said, cafes here have got a massive opportunity, which I don't think they're aware of, or they don't know how to action it and having standalone locations is very profitable as well because you could basically get a warehouse in the outer suburbs, previously was used for catering, and then run half a dozen ghost kitchen brands out of it. And you'll be doing just as well, if not better than catering, because obviously events and stuff are a little bit fiddled now with all the regulations around COVID and catered events.
3: And, Steve, what type of investments are required and what sort of returns are possible with a ghost kitchen?
2: Investments can be as little as a couple of grand upfront, which you get 1200 back from the Victorian government anyway, as part of their tech adoption rebate. So our upfront fee is 2400. Half of that you get back with the grant application, which is generally no issue. And then it's just an ongoing $500 a month to keep everything moving, which includes all their menu updates and all their social media posts and campaigns and all that sort of stuff.
3: And finally, in your own words, what do you love most about the business and why do you believe it is a worthwhile opportunity to learn more about?
2: For me personally, the challenge was trying to work out a way to help these businesses over the last 12 months. Being from hospitality, I really feel for them and I know that a lot of them don't have the ability to look beyond what they're used to and what they're accustomed to and what is right in front of their noses. The challenge was to develop a model that works, and we've done that successfully. We've trialled it. We've clearly made mistakes along the way, but the last 10, 12 months have been really, really good for all concerned. And then being able to tap into supply networks, for example. No one ever thinks about the suppliers or distributors whose volume of sales have halved or even less and they've also lost a lot of money with accounts that haven't been able to pay and so all that supply chain has become a mess as well that no one ever talks about. So being able to give them new clients that everybody's benefiting from is a win-win for that whole industry and that's what I'm doing what I'm doing for because I enjoy the, that sort of connection, you know, giving people jobs, feeding people and putting, you know, food on the table for restaurateurs.
1: It's a fantastic opportunity, especially for the hospitality industry, which has gone through some pretty sort of dark times of recent. Thanks, Steve. It's been a really interesting conversation. Now, for anyone who is keen to put their name down for more information, there's a button beneath this podcast to submit your inquiry, and we'll get the ball rolling and get you in touch with Steve ASAP. Thanks again, Steve, for joining us today. No
2: worries. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the chat. It was uh, good to be able to share some of the stuff with you, you, your, your listeners. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you,
0: Steve. Eden Exchanges was brought to you by the team at Eden Exchange. In this episode, we spoke to Steve Adji, who was the director of Cafe 51. They provide a ghost kitchen business model to already developed businesses and are implementing this model nationwide. To find out more about Steve and Cafe 51, or to discover other episodes by Eden Exchanges, head to our networking website, businessbuyinvest.com. You can also subscribe to this series on iTunes, or stitch it if you're using Android. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. For recent info on the buying, selling, and investing world. Thanks for listening.